0: We're going to be looking this morning at a rather lengthy passage. We're going to begin in chapter 5 with verse 8 and go through chapter 6 verse 12. So, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 5 and begin with verse 8. If you have a, uh, maybe you have an app on your phone, or like Moses, you have a tablet. Uh, But I want you to. Really, at Two Rivers, we, it's not a matter of pride, but it's a, it's a matter of necessity. We encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, hard. I prefer uh, hardback or leather bound myself. There's still something about handling a book, and I'd like being able to mark it up, maybe even dog ear it uh, a little bit. But we also provide Bibles. That's the reason we do that, not because we are trying to support the Gideon ministry. But Because we we want you to have a Bible. It's important that you're able to discern and separate out what is Phil talk and what's God talk. When the Bible says, for instance, in Psalm 119, your word, O Lord, is wonderful to me. The word wonderful means supra-nature, supernatural. It's above natural speak. Martin Luther said, uh, the word of God has hands and it grasps me, it has feet and it walks into my life. And I pray that you're experiencing that privately. And I can assure you that the elders pray in the course of the week for this service that you will experience it now with God's word being proclaimed, Christ to be seen And lifted high among us, him to be glorified. We pray that. And you can't get that simply from me. You get it from God's word. And so I am going to, because this is such a lengthy scripture, I am going to be reading it, something like a running commentary, as if you picked up the sermon notes which we provide, uh, you'll see my marks. I've got five implications that I want us to see from this teaching of Solomon, the preacher, as he is known, as we have learned to be known. But the focus verse is verse 19. Verse 19. Everyone of of chapter 5. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So not only your possessions, but the ability, the freedom, the experience of joy from them comes from God. So if you do not have wealth and possessions to the degree that you feel that you ought You need to consider that where you are right now, by God's sovereign design, and I will later submit to you mercy, that's your lot. Everything you possess right now, and the measure that you possess, is by God's design. And secondly, if you're not enjoying them, then you need to pray that God would bring you to that heart and that attitude that you would find the appropriate level of joy in them. For that too, the enjoyment of your possessions, is a gift from God. And not everyone has that. Many have wealth and have no, as it says, they have no power to enjoy them, in verse 19. Because they don't appropriately see that wealth has come from God, and so there is no heart of gratitude or thanksgiving, nor do they use them wisely as stewards. We need both. Not only do we need to see wealth and possessions coming from God as a gift, but also the power to enjoy them. So during this morning and the time that I have left, we need to ask the questions, how how do I see wealth and possessions in my life right now? Are you content? Are you content with your lot? Secondly, are you enjoying them? Or are you not enjoying them? Are you discontent? If so, why? And what's the answer? What's the answer to get to a point that I can be satisfied with even a little and that I can take enjoyment from the little that I have, or much. So, without further ado, let's move forward in this text. Uh, the Money Lender and His Wife is a very famous uh, Renaissance painting by Quentin Massey. And Quentin Massey shows a money lender... Carefully assessing the value of a single coin. There's other coins that are stacked before him, but he's holding one coin and he's looking it over as a banker of that day. Just to his left is his wife. And she's holding a Bible. She's obviously, it's a Bible that during the Renaissance would be very expensive because it's illustrated. But obviously she has been in her devotions. And she's sitting next to him as he looks at that coin. So the moneylender is focused on the coin, and his wife was focusing on reading the Bible. She was focused on her devotions to God, but her eyes now are looking at that coin. Quentin Massey was, drew this Renaissance painting Out of Antwerp. Antwerp in Europe had become the center of business and money. And it was changing the town and the residents of the town. Now we've all felt that same tension. And I submit to you that we still feel this tension. Jesus had more to say on the subject of money than he had any other subject. And you might wonder what number two is. Maybe you're not, but it's hell. So I'll talk about hell next week. No, I won't. Uh, But he had a lot to say about money. And he would say in Matthew 24, 27, that you can have one of two masters. they are not three jockeying for your heart. But either money or mammon or God will be your master. And you cannot, because they're jealous and they compete, serve both there's a tension in all of our hearts, mine included, that in my walk and in my devotions, in my life given over to God to be distracted by wealth, possessions, and money. I'm so distracted from enjoying God that I would take joy in other possessions. Let me give you a quick example of what that looks like for me. So, uh, even this last week, I was having my devotions, and I've got my iPad open up, and it shows my Bible reading calendar. And because I like to have my Bible, I mean, I can read it off my iPad, but I, was, I said, I'm, I like to mark it up. Uh, so I'm reading from my Bible, and as I'm doing so, uh, Genesis comes out. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I, you know, and Ephesians comes out, too, by the way. Uh, two of my favorite books, Genesis and Ephesians, I guess. And so I'm like, oh, and I'm in my devotions. Genesis, Genesis Pages comes out. And I'm like, I wonder what a new, large print, leather-bound, ESV Bible would cost so I go to Amazon in the middle of my devotions and I look up and I'm like when I go to Amazon there are a couple of boat parts that automatically spring up and I'm like I'm going to look at those too by the way in the middle of my devotions I'm now online I've done that at times when I've been in prayer and I've been like Lord I'm praying for this person of the church and You know, I haven't seen them in a while. Let me look them up on Facebook. In the middle of my prayers, I'm now on Facebook. We're so... We're like sheep. We're really more like dogs. And it goes, squirrel. How many times? We we can't have devotions in the morning because I've got to get to work. can't have devotions at night because... I've got to work on this project, and it's the only time I have. I can't have devotions in the, the work. I, my communion with God, there's a competitor in its wealth and possessions, either the accumulating or the securing or the protecting. Solomon tells us that there, in these passages, there's five implications, five things that he wants us to know. The first thing that he wants us to know is do not be amazed at economic injustice. And this is verse 8 and 9. If you see in a province that oppression, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher and they are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way a king committed to cultivated fields. Were you surprised this last week? When in Zimbabwe there was a military takeover, not a coup, looks like a coup, quacks like a duck, acts like a duck, but it's not a military coup of Robert Mugabe and his wife. Were you surprised? Did you say, oh my goodness, the guy's 93 years old. I expected him to rule until he was 120. Well, actually his plan was that Gucci Grace, his wife, in her 50s, she would take over. So one dictator would give the dictatorship to his wife. No, the military said, because we don't do elections, we're going to take over and we're going to put another dictator in over us. One power is cast down, another power dictator comes up. Were you surprised? I suspect that, like me, you are less and less surprised to see that happen. Used to be that in the 50s or the 60s, if something like that happened, front page news, and we're wondering why we cannot ever achieve these utopian societies. We're in a culture now much darker, dystopian. We're less and less surprised that one government is overthrown and another, perhaps harsher government, will come in. The Bible says, don't be surprised. But understand, you're not to be frustrated either because God is not surprised. God is not surprised because He knows what's in men's heart. In Luke chapter 16, Verses in fourteen it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money, which by the way, that's why there's economic injustice, because there's a grab for power, not to enrich the nation, but to enrich themselves more often than not. We see that behind many politicians. And I'm not I'm not naming names or trying to out anybody. We don't really emphasize politics here at Two Rivers. many times governments are motivated by an acquisition of wealth not to enrich the nations. We see that more and more as things are revealed behind the scenes. And God says, He knows men's heart. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, faced Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said in verse 15 of Luke 16, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God knows the heart. He knows what is at the heart and behind economic injustice. Number two, money will not, cannot, shall not, ever, 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 ever satisfy our appetites. I emphasize that because I don't believe we believe that. I don't believe that we believe that. Verses 10 through 12, as well as chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Let God speak and make the case. Now remember, this is a man who is not simply by his own natural capacity. Solomon is not naturally wise, he is inspired by wisdom. Some theologians believe that what God did was to unbind his fallen mind to make him as wise as Adam in the garden. That he was as wise as a man, unbound by sin, could be. But suffice it to say that Solomon's wisdom came from God. So if we're going to listen to these scriptures, remember, we're not just simply listening to a Solomon a proverb from a man, we're listening to someone who is speaking with the voice of God, with the authority of God, to us. Do we believe it? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with her own eyes? What he's talking about here is he's not talking about you've got an enlarged family. Proverbs 14, verse 20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. What he's saying is that those who have wealth and possessions, there's an increasing number of consumers around them. There's an increasing number of hungry eaters that gather around them. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. I had an elder in my previous ministry who was seven foot four. Now think about it. He would have to duck to get through that door. Now we've got some tall men, including uh, Tim Quinn here. But how, how tall are you? 6'2". So add another yard, uh, another foot. seven foot four. He was a center, a former center for the Utah Jazz. So he is obviously going to stand out, Mark Eaton, he's going to stand out in any room. And because he was an elder we, and he was also a next-door neighbor, we would spend loads of time together. And whenever he would go out in public, he would be mobbed. And not simply for an autograph. But he would be asked many, many times for a loan. He was always approached by every charity or fundraiser going to speak or to put his name on it or to give money. He said, Phil, do you know why people, celebrities, people with substance buy huge ranches in Wyoming? I said, no, why? And he said, to be isolated from all the people that want to eat you up. And he says, you get to a position, you don't know who your real friends are anymore. You don't know if people like the real you, or if they just like you to get to your money. That's not very satisfactory. Plus, we have our own hunger for money. In verse 7 of chapter 6, all the toil of man is for his mouth. In other words, I say, I'm working, I'm working to make the vig, I'm working to make the house payment, the mortgage payment, I'm working to pay the grocery bill or the car payment or the insurance or the children's education or the clothes. I'm working for that, yet my appetite is not satisfied. I'm paying the bills, but I want to. I just, I want just a little bit more. <laughs> you know, famously, we talk about. John D. Rockefeller, who for that time was the, you know, the, the most wealthy man alive. And they asked John D. Rockefeller, as his money made money, made money, made money? And he said, when is enough? And he said, one dollar more. Um, a more modern illustration is Homer Simpson going to Mr. Burns and saying, Mr. Burns... You're the wealthiest man that I know. Mr. Burns said, yeah, but I would trade it all for more. And that's us, isn't it? I mean, do you, am I the only one that struggles? That I, I feel like if I just had enough to pay all my bills, then I would be happy. And yet, that appetite that appetite that i think will be satisfied by money or a possession you know the symbol of wealth possessions is there some of us will struggle all of our lives with that discontent i would confess to you the elders know this the elders know my sin pattern if you Stop any of our three elders. Ask them. I'm getting ready to make it public. Ask them, what's Phil's sin pattern? What's his primary sin? What's his his primary sin? Financial fear. It's a generational sin for me. I came by it quite honest, not to rationalize it away, because it creates all sorts of problems in my life. And I have no reason. God has never failed me i 've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread never not in my case. I have never wanted for want oh they 've been tough times, but i 've never never had any real financial hardships. Some of you have you have huge stories to tell of where there was a financial rescue at the last minute i don 't think i 've even come close. But I can remember my mom walking in with two paper sacks of groceries with three boys on our small farm. We, were, we, were, we had such a perpetual hunger for groceries that we would eat through whatever she brought through in less than a couple of days, like piranhas. And she said, boys, this is it. What's in these two sacks of groceries I don't know where the money's coming from for the future groceries so you better eat very carefully I'm the oldest I knew my two brothers would not abide by that except I was the enforcer I said when she left because my mom worked outside of the home my dad worked outside of the home I was in charge I made that two sacks of groceries go for well over a month because I believed her it wasn't really true she was being dramatic she was trying to get us to stop eating so much at a whim we just constantly snacked and ate but because I believed and took that lie as truth I took that into the future Solomon says I think we do well to examine where does our appetite come from do you believe that God will not take care of you Do you believe that it's all on your shoulders, men particularly? Or do you believe that to be a person of value, you must have these possessions? There's a lot of insecurity there that is surrounding that appetite. Number three implication. Riches will hurt you in a variety of grievous ways. Grievous can be mournful, sad, weeping, heartbreaking, disastrous, deadly. Verses 13 through 17 of Ecclesiastes 5. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Actually, let me go back to verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. In other words, he doesn't have all the advantages of wealth, but it also he doesn't have all the responsibilities. He's not troubled about future acquisition or future loss. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Some commentaries say that the reason that the wealthy person cannot sleep is because their diet has lots of fatty foods. They're able to afford themselves lots of fat and lots of sugar. And it creates either for insomnia or indigestion. Their lifestyle. There is a grievous evil, verse 13, that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Verse 13, there's a way that having all those riches, when you hoard them, when you don't shepherd them or steward them, they can corrupt you. They can corrupt your heart. They certainly can create for independence or a self-reliance. I'll tell you, if you go into a hospital emergency room, you can find people that cannot afford for health care and they pray and they're very humbled. And there are other folks that there's never a thought of prayer because they've got, you know, Cadillac health plans. And I'm, I'm not trying to, to say that there's anything wrong with that, but prayer is no longer An object. Prayer, they are not, their money becomes their provider. Their money becomes in a form, their God. Where do you pray for God's provision? Or is it more, I need to figure out a way to pay for this myself. Whenever we're no longer looking to God as our provider, it's to our spiritual hurt. In verse 14, it hurts us when we lose money. So that we're always guarding it, or we experience, you know, we lose thirty thousand dollars in a failed investment or a business venture, and it kills us, and we're still complaining about it. Verse thirteen, verse fifteen. As he came from, and then in verse fourteen, it says he's lost it. He leaves no legacy to his child. There's nothing left to grub stake a child. Verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. This also is grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, verse 17, all of his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, anxiety, worry, frustration, and sickness, there's psychosomatic results. Worrying over money can create ulcers, high headaches, or or just groaning over losses in what might have been, and anger. Furthermore, he tells us that all this is hurt. I believe he's speaking to Israel here. He's not simply talking to a world that doesn't have a God. I want to encourage you as I try to move on a little more quickly to employ what I call the money prayer of Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9. Consider praying this. Consider Can you pray this? And I'm not talking, don't be a Pharisee and say, oh sure, I can pray this. No, I'm talking about with belief. And let this be the guide of your life. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Let each one of those be a curb on the side of the road. And say, lest I be full and I deny you, again, who possesses great wealth, but it hurts him, his soul. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. In other words, we curse God because of our situation, because of our lot, because of even our seeming poverty. We need to pray that prayer. Lord, you give me the amount of wealth that you feel I will use yet to bring you glory. And there begins the secret of how to enjoy it. Too much I will deny you to my soul's hurt. I will become self-reliant. I will become Vexed as I try to continue to acquire more or to protect it, or I'll become angry because I've lost it. I'll deny you, or I will have so little that money and fears are always on my heart, and I begin to question, even profane you, because I feel like you've been miserly toward me. Just give me the amount of money that you choose, the amount of wealth and possessions that you choose. And beloved, if you're a Christian today, He is, He has, and He will. Already, where you are right now is your lot, chosen by God. Can you begin to see that what He's held back will actually can actually be seen as a mercy? Do you believe that? I had a man recently ask me, he says, would you do if somebody gave you a million dollars? I'm A million dollars? Are you kidding me? The price of houses and land? You know, I, that's, it takes no time to spend a million bucks. Well, what, did you, what would you do for five million dollars? And I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know, if I go to the Circle K and I'm standing in line waiting for a cup of coffee, and a guy in front of me turns around and says, hey, preacher, I know that you're a conscientious objector against lottery." I know that you feel like it keeps the poor poor because they're the primary buyer of lottery tickets just hoping, hoping, hoping looking to money to get them out of their life situation. So, I know you wouldn't buy a lottery ticket, so I'm going to give you my lottery ticket and I have it on good authority that that's the winning numbers for 5 million dollars. The question is not on how I would spend it. But what would I think? What would I think is the source of that? Would I say this has come from the Lord and to be used by Him? Or would I say wow, this is not of the Lord. This is a temptation to destroy me. How would I use it? Would I just use it to enrich myself? Or would I use it for the church? Would I use it for the poor, would I use it for others? Where would I go if I had five million in my hand? And if you would use it, now we all say, "Of course, I would build two rivers of church, and I eh, just keep a little for myself." That rarely happens. We don't. Everybody says that, and they win, and they don't do it. What we see are lottery fam, lottery winners destroyed. What if, and I believe it's true, what if God? As it says in verse, nine, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given, there's that gift language again, God has given, God has given, Wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept. It's a gift also to accept your lot. To be able to say, God, what you've denied me is for my good. You would not have me destroyed by wealth and possessions. You know because you know my heart. You know what I'm capable of. Wealth, possessions, and the power to enjoy are gifts of God. Let's leave here this morning with fact number one. All wealth comes from God. Fact number two. All joy comes from God. All joy. Verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And if you can look at even the humble wealth and possessions that you have and say, this is a gift from God and He knows best. And this is my lot. You're going to be able to look at those things with joy. But if you look at it with discontent and say, this car, this car is not nice enough. This house is not big enough. My account is not secure enough for my retirement. The days of your life are going to be vexing. The days of your life can be grievous. And He wants us to trust Him with the lot that He's given to us and begin to find joy restored as we trust Him to be not miserly toward us, but to be a good Father. Finally, in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 6, I want you to see that our lot in life has already been named. So we accept or we argue. We've got a choice. Solomon will not let us out of the corner when it comes to viewing our wealth, our riches, our possessions, our things that we look to to make us satisfied. Whoever, Whatever, verse 10, chapter 6, has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is And that he is not able to dispute, that's the word for argue, with one stronger than he. Lord, I don't like this. Lord, you're giving them more. You're giving them the great house. You're giving them the great deal. You're giving them the great job. You're giving them the great wealth. And I've been praying for this. This is what I need. I need. I want. I want. I want. And God says tough i don't believe he says it to mock us, But he says grow up i know what you need trust me trust me please meet me at the door and tell me where god has failed you if you're a christian tell me where god really failed you let's enter into that wound and hurt let's pick it apart but what would it look like at Two Rivers if we no longer argue with God about our financial state as if He has denied us or if He is uncaring? I know in your prayers many of you pray in order to make ends meet or many of you pray about an increase, prosperity, wealth, or possessions. But do you pray say, thinking that if I just have that then I'll be happy or can you pray that and accept even the silence of God as the answer not now my child not now you either wouldn't be able to handle it or not now the trial that you're in I'm growing a son I'm growing a daughter that is not self-reliant that will not deny me or profane me but will trust me can we get there can we get there Because that's the two alternatives. Verse 11, the more words, the more vanity. And I believe words can be expressed in prayer. How do you pray about money and wealth and possessions? Is it always more? Or is it, Lord, show me where I can, even the little that I have, I can give more or use more for your glory, not my own. Verse 12, for who knows what is good for man? And this is not a rhetorical question, by the way. For who knows, Solomon says, what is good for man? I know what's good for me. No. While he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And I have put in my Bible on the sidebar, because I like to mark it up, only God can tell man. Only God can tell us. Only he can tell us. And where does he tell us? He tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 and 34. He says, Fear not, this is Jesus, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does he say about our possessions? He says, you have a kingdom. Oh, it doesn't reflect itself in your bank account, your retirement account. It doesn't reflect itself in your possessions, but it should reflect itself in your spirit, in your soul, in your life as you think, I'm not only a son or a daughter, but I'm a crown prince or a crown princess. I am in possession of a kingdom that already I inherit. Sell your possessions. Now I can be free. And give to the needy. That's one way that I demonstrate that I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. The proper use of my resources for the needy, for the poor. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Not hoarding because there's constant in use. With a treasure in the heavens that never fails. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When when Massey drew the portrait of the moneylender and his wife, he must have had this distraction of money in mind. And I believe he submitted a solution because on the moneylender's table, In the front, there's a small round mirror. And that mirror reflects a window frame, and outside there is a man. The window frame, the panes, form a cross. And that man's hand is reaching to hold on to Christ. The Gospel. To know that because of the riches of Christ. The forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit within. A possessor of God with me. To face everything in this life. The promise of an inheritance to come. Brothers, sisters, we are wealthy beyond anything this world can imagine. Now, I'm free. And now I can begin to accept my lot and enjoy it. And God is able to even be freer as He would shape our lot in life. When you come to this table, I want you to imagine gold doubloons. When you take of this bread and you take of this cup, you're taking of the very treasure of your Savior again. And it's going to, we're going to constantly be distracted. But may God constantly bring us back to this boast that the richest jewels I possess, the greatest wealth I possess, I'm possessed by. My heart is possessed by that treasure. And I possess it. And that treasure is in Jesus Christ. Because he died for me. He's in fellowship with me now. And I will be with him for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I pray that you use this table to both give us a fresh pardon as we would repent of looking to wealth and possessions to satisfy us. We confess that we do. And in so doing, we turn our eyes away from you, our soul's true satisfaction. And we began to die a little bit. Father, we're turning back this morning. Nothing in our hands we bring simply to thy cross we cling. May we take this bread and take this cup and raise it before a watching world and say, this is my security. This is my wealth. This is my treasure. This is my boast as a rich son and daughter that all of heaven is mine and I am his, his treasure, his will. Father, fill our hearts with this good news and strengthen our hearts as we do come again to receive him from this table and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.